Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Backpacking and Blisters, episode 10, The Death March. I'm Derek, alongside of me is the man who refuses to eat breakfast on the trail, even though he's burning thousands of calories, Carl mm. Mandrioli. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, you're kind of making fun of me for being late to this episode, because I'm usually waiting for you, but today you had to wait for me, I and did. I, did. I was ready to go, and right before get all set up, my wife pulled out some spaghetti she's making for dinner tonight, and she held the box by the wrong end, and the spaghetti went everywhere. Wow. And yeah, it was kind of a disaster. Um, so we had to talk about rubber banding or taping the spaghetti box closed. Well, so you are the master of disaster. I mean... That that might have been on me. Spilling I I things... Claim that. Well, I'm just saying, like, spilling things, falling into rivers, you know... you. Yeah, all sorts of things. Any kind of gravitational challenges is not your friend. It actually reminded me of Jared. Jared told me a story once where his son had gotten a hold of one of those huge cans of planters peanuts mm. and spilled them like all over the floor, like just dumped them out. It must have been like $10 worth of peanuts. We should ask him how heavy that jar of peanuts was, actually. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But what I liked was Jared actually just like picked them all up and then like put them back in the can. They went back into the cabinet. <laughs> I think that I think that expires like the three second rule, right? I think that's been debunked as well, but it was just like, I don't know. So Fair. there you go. I mean, that's how that's what that's how I'm doing today. Let's jump into the episode, though. I'm, I'm the ready. Death March. I'm ready. Yeah, this is my okay. my journey through Red Peak Pass the first time. We will get to that, but I think for some of the listeners who don't use that phrase, they might be confused or not really quite sure what this episode's going to be about. So I have an official definition of what like a real death march is, and then we'll kind of relate that to backpacking. But by definition, a death march is like, it's like a forced march of prisoners over long distances and usually under intolerable conditions where it's like lack of food or extreme heat or whatever, like, you know, their clothes are barely hanging off of them. And obviously on a backpacking trip, you're not in such conditions. I mean, you, you might feel like you are, but you're not really. Like relating to a backpacking trip, the death march is simply like where you are on seemingly an endless hike, usually created by the trip leader or somebody that's not you, and you're being forced to continue on this hike. And it just seems like you're never going to get to the finish line, whether it's the the ultimate finish line or just you know your camp for that day. Mm. And you're suffering, and you're miserable, and you're hating life. I think that's like a pinpoint accurate description. Like I was forced. To go, no, it wasn't forced at all. But there, there, there was. Well, I'll get into the details of why I felt the way I felt. But yeah, um, and let, before you get into the details, let me just say that this sounds miserable. It sounds like a struggle, 
but I actually love these types of hikes. You get off on these types of hikes. I don't know why, but uh, it's like, I think it's your internal competition with yourself. You know, like maybe you gave yourself a little trophy when you get home. Like I, I challenged myself and I got over the mountain and, and that's fine. So, you know, I don't know what you did when we got home from Maroon Bells and we passed like four mountain passes and maybe you had a celebration yeah. of sorts. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't count that as a death march by any stretch. It wasn't. It wasn't. Maybe, maybe for you, but um, not, it wasn't intended to be anyway. But I think... For me, we, yeah, I just like the, I like the suffering. I like the perseverance. I like the overcoming. And um, this actually reminds me of my favorite verse in Romans chapter five, where it says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character Mm. and character hope. Mm. And I think that, yeah, like you want to be with men or women of strong character. And I think that overcoming these things builds character. And I think you'll even share that the death march we're going to refer to today um, definitely builds your character. Would you, wouldn't you agree yeah. with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Even though at the, in the moment I hated it, you know, I think it did It did me good later, so which I'll For chat sure. about. But Yeah, and, and, and we're going to get to your story here in a moment, but I think we have to set up the story with why this death march happened. Yes. So I'll share a quick version of why this happened. And this kind of goes back to my second ever backpacking trip where we show up to Yosemite National Park at the ranger station. And we want to do this loop. And they suggest, well, why don't you do this Red Peak Pass loop? And I'd never heard of it before. didn't know much about it. And I was with two other guys and kind of variable fitness levels. The ranger was basically like, this is a five-day trip. You guys are trying to do it in four. You might be able to do it. So I kind of like took that as a challenge. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I can do it. So, <laughs> you were offended. Kind of, kind of. I mean, you know, like, yeah, it's pretty, pretty prideful, I suppose. But anyway, so we go and we we're, we're shooting for these lakes called Ottawa lakes the first day. And we don't hit them. We're like not even close. We actually don't even get there until the second day. And so we realized at that point, we're just not going to make the loop. So instead of continuing the loop and kind of going up and over the pass, we decided we're going to day hike up to the pass, which was covered by snow, and just kind of look over, at least get the nice view. So we do, and we get to the pass. We kind of like are looking at our map on top of the pass, kind of measuring out where we are, looking at the contour lines. And we realize we're not even on the pass. We're like on the wrong mountain that, you know, like the trail went a different way. We weren't even in the right spot. This is an elusive mountain, it seems like. This is like Kinda. your white whale Kinda. at this point. Had we gone over the pass, we saw like the the backside was completely covered in snow and ice. We were certainly not equipped to do it. And so I guess I always was like, I want to do this loop. Like, I want to make this happen. And this was like back in 1995 or 1996. And so nine or 10 years later, I finally felt like I had the guys mm. to go. And that was um, Rocky and Knowlton. Mm. And so Rocky's like, but let's bring along this other guy named Derek. <laughs> and so you're like, and you you're, like you're like the fa- the fanny pack guy, that guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I knew, I mean, at that point, we started to get to know each other like fairly well. And I thought, mm, he brought a fanny pack last time. <laughs> he does pack light. That's good. I don't really know his fitness level. Are you really sure he's at four? And he's like, yeah, 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 of course he can do it. And I was like, all right, well, let's see. Because this is like, for me, this is a big deal. Like, I want this to happen. Only, only I sort of upped the ante a little bit here. I was like, the ranger said we could maybe do this five day trip in four days. Let's go for three days. So I really was like, like at the time I was like, I can do this. Like, I know what this is like. And so we are going to make this happen what was your experience in this trip Derek well let me just let me just start by saying I knew we were doing a three-day trip 
I knew this was like your Moby Dick white whale. Like I knew, like <laughs> I got like, so I, already I'm like, I, I don't want to be the guy that blows this. And I got into this in earlier episodes where like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and ask what to bring, what not to bring, which in hindsight I should have. I didn't want to come across as some, some idiot, which I did. And I was at the time. So, so anyway, I think I got there. I remember we got to the trailhead and I obviously had a huge backpack, super full of stuff. But the point I think that really got me was when we got there and I'm like, so I, I think I said to you, I was like, so how, how far exactly are we going? Cause I, I think, <laughs> I think cause nobody, nobody told me, nobody told me. And I think the last trip we did, I was, I'm thinking it's like, eh, you know, like 15 mile, you know, like the last trip we did or whatever. And I think you said mm-hmm. somewhere in the ballpark or like, I forgot the exact number you said, like it might be like around 52 miles or 40 something. Yeah. Something and, like that. And I think in my head, I'm just like, what the junk? Like how many miles? And then you're like, but don't worry. There's, there's a, there's some downhill on the last day. It should be fine. And then, and then you said that there's a lot of uphill though on the first day or so. And I'm like, Oh boy. So I didn't really get what that really meant, right? So I think, you know, I, I had my bags packed. I was ready to go. I had the extra shoes dangling outside of the pack, like a decoration. And I think I made it maybe like a hundred yards down the trail. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hey, Derek, come back here. <laughs> and and, and mo- the moment you say something like that, I'm like, oh no, I already screwed up. So we go back to the, the trailhead and you're like, dude, you don't need this, this, or this. And at that point, you should have probably just gone through the whole backpack because later, you know, you guys are carrying my gear and whatnot. So uh, I took some stuff out and I, I go on this journey and I'm like thinking to myself, I feel good. And this is what I talked about earlier. Like I had weighed my backpack at home and I'm like, this is no problem. I can carry this backpack, no problem. <laughs> so what I didn't realize was my backpack was probably, I want to say in the neighborhood of like 35 pounds. It felt like. Which which honestly isn't terrible. It's not. For a backpacking trip. But for that trip and for the level of experience you had, that it was, was horrible. Much. I mean, now it's way lighter. But so when we get going, and I think um, within the first mile we cross the stream, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't need to take my socks off. This is stupid. It'll just no, who it'll just that? dry off, you know. And so, <laughs> um, so we keep hiking throughout the day, and I don't really notice anything. And then, like maybe four or five miles in, I'm like, gosh, my foot's kind of bugging. Like, what's the deal? Like, am I getting a blister or something? And then another mile or two go by, and I'm like, okay, this is really not enjoyable. Like, what's the deal? We finally get to camp, and by that time at night, I think I'm hobbling into camp. I took my shoes off and my socks and lo and behold, I think I counted eight blisters on one foot and nine on the other foot. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Like, what do I do? Right. So Knowlton like whips out this moleskin, which was like magical. It's just, if, if you don't know what moleskin is, it's, like, it's kind of like a f- adhesive fabric that, you know, I drained my, I drained the blisters and I put this stuff on top of my f- blister area to kind of pad and aid in each step that I take, which basically saved my life. Okay. So just, just to kind of give a recap though, at this point you hiked 18 miles. Mm-hmm. 18. And, yeah. The long way. Right. I do like though that you, you're explaining to the listeners what Moleskin is. Like people are listening to a backpacking podcast and might not know what Moleskin is. I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, they but, might. I don't know. No. Uh, yeah. I think, I think it's pretty common knowledge. Um, one kind of a tidbit, like this is one of the hardest things to do is when you start to feel those hot spots in your feet. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's early in the in the in the day or early in the hike, it is hard to just be like, okay, this something's not rubbing right. Let's stop and take care of this early before it becomes blisters. Right. Like, even though I've done this a million times, I'm guilty of this too. Like, I will wait too long before I actually take the shoes off, just because I want to. You know, right. I just want to keep going sometimes. Right. right. So, and I didn't want I didn't so want to like get, lag behind. I want to like keep you guys yeah. from lagging. And then you know, I think. 
mile 14, mile 15, I think that's when the men- mental like challenges started coming in. And I'm like, I can barely like step on the ground and I'm like hating life every step. And I'm like, no, but I cannot give up. I do not want to let these guys down. All this pressure I put on myself, right? So we finally get to camp, take off the shoes. And Nolan's like, dude, here's some of the moleskin, blah, 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 blah. Put it, put it on my feet, eat dinner. I was so wiped out. I think we, we, we just went to bed on like a, a loose pile of rocks or something in, in the tents. <laughs> I still remember that. And I still, so now the, here's the, here's the kicker. So we wake up the next morning. Now, I don't know if you guys ever woken up and you're like, oh, my neck sore, my leg sore, my back sore. Literally every single muscle in my body, legs, feet, hands, arms, neck, back, everything hurt. Like I could, I was like finger finger. I was like, how am I going to get out of bed? Like I, that was the first time I'm allowed in my life. I'm like, I don't even know if I can get out of the sleeping bag. Like this is ridiculous. Right. I was more like, so I will myself inch by inch. Up, <laughs> and as I'm not, I'm not even fully erect yet uh, as standing up and you're like, Hey dude, how'd you sleep? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm good. You know, whatever. In my defense, before you, you sort of threw me under the bus here, I had no idea about your blisters. I had no idea how you felt. Of course and, not. Of course. And I didn't even invite you on this trip. This was Rocky that invited you, so I didn't really care. <laughs> oh, wow. Because Rocky, Rocky said you could do this, and so in my mind, I'm like, this is on Rocky. Rocky's got to make this happen. Yeah, and so, so, and I knew that. I'm about to stand up, and I'm, I'll never forget this. You, like, looked at me, you're like, dude, Way to go yesterday, man. Today's the tough day. And I'm like, well, and I'm like, wait, what? You're like, dude, we got like 3,000 feet of ele- elevation. We got like 19 miles. We're going to go over the pass today. It's going to be awesome. And then you like, right. you like walked away. And I remember in my head, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, this is going to be so hard. Like, I was just like, <laughs> na- I've never been that mentally defeated, but I'm like, I got to do this. I got to like try to do this. So that was a huge turning point for me because I'm like, I can't turn around and go back. They'll never invite me again. Carl's white whale is just ahead. So I felt like this obligation for you. And, and then I felt this obligation for me to like not quit. I hate quitting. I hate giving up. And I'm like, this is probably the biggest challenge I'll ever face physically in my life so far, just in terms of like what my body can handle. Right. And so we kept going. Um, we, we trudged our way through the day. The moleskin was magical. Um, and then I remember we got to, you're like, yeah, hey, the, the peak's just around this corner over here, just over this ridge. And I remember like getting to the top of this ridge and looking down, I'm like, that's not that far. And you're like, no, 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 it's over here to the left. And I'm like, wait, what? And I look up <laughs> and you're like, see those two dots way over there? And I'm like, yeah. That's the peak. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like snow all over it. I'm like, there's no way I can make it up this mountain. It's ridiculous. So I still remember, um, I felt some sense of relief because Knowlton's behind me and he was just like feeling the altitude. And I'm like, I hated that he was feeling bad, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, I'm not last. This is so rad. So, (laughs) So I remember you and Rocky somehow, I don't know how you're like, let's race up the mountain, dude. Yeah. And then you guys are just like right. tearing up this mountain. I'm like, are they like super, this is ridiculous. They're like superhuman. And you're like, yeah, my shoulders are a little sore today, but I think I can make it. And I'm like, whatever, dude. So you like take off with Rocky <laughs> and you guys are gone. And Knowlton and I are just like trudging up the mountain. There were some things on this backpacking trip that really defined why it was a death march to me. And and probably the, the most prominent of these things was when I was climbing the, the mountain, I, I just, I, I started I couldn't even move my feet. Like one foot was like 
inches in front of the other, like inches at a time, just like, like a snail's pace. And I look back and like, Nolton's going to catch me. And then I, I look back and I see Nolton like hurling yellow Gatorade into some ravine. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm good. And then I keep going. And I was like, I, I literally didn't think my body was going to shut down. I'm like, no, no, I'll just keep going. I'll just willpower my way through. And I'm like, my body wants to shut down. And I just, I, I had to willpower my way up to the top of the mountain. I think I just collapsed. And we didn't stay that long because you're like, yeah, we got to go. It's getting cold. The weather's getting dark. It was out. getting dark. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, we got to get down this mountain. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I think at this point, you've painted me as like the biggest demoralizer of all time. And you've also painted yourself as like, my self-esteem hinges on Knowlton's failure here, throwing it behind me. <laughs> in the moment, in the moment, it was, uh, in the moment, it was the willpower is on pins and needles. Cause I'm like, yeah. my body's in torture. My feet are better, but not comfortable. I can barely move. This backpack feels like a dead rock on my back. So I realized like at some point I realized the first day, like the backpack was going to be a big problem because it was just, I didn't anticipate the weight after X amount of miles and how that would feel. And uh, so it was really, really taking a toll. So I think, um, once we got to the top and you're like, we got to get down, we got to get down, enjoy the view. Let's go take a picture. Let's, let's get out. Actually, we didn't have any cameras, which I was really bummed about. But anyway, we start going down the mountain and I thought, Oh, this will be so much better. This will be like heaven going downhill, right? Because going uphill was like horrendous. So we start going downhill, and I'm not realizing like all this weight per step. It felt like my my shins, like every time I stepped on the ground, it felt like my shins were just going to fly through my kneecap. That's a and gruesome just, sight. Yeah, and just explode. I'm like, I... And then I think, was, was it you that gave me the poles or Knowlton maybe? Or somebody? Yeah, that was more... That was more on the last day that we can talk about that in a moment, but yeah, just re- I don't know if you know this, but we didn't actually make our 19 miles that day. It was so oh, it we t- didn't. No, it took it took us so long for us to get up and over the pass, and Nelson wasn't feeling well, and apparently you weren't feeling well either. That we just sort of came down from the pass and camped at, at kind of the first available flat spot. Uh, okay, I always thought the pass was the you know yeah, and so. It didn't, I mean, it didn't really matter because we just that just meant that our, our kind of our quote unquote easy day, the last day, which was only supposed to be, I think, 13 miles or so, became like a 15 or 16 mile day, which is why that took so long mm. uh, to get out. But that's the day that hopefully there was some redemption going on with the demoralization because I think I hiked with you almost the entire day. No, you did. I mean, and it don't, I wouldn't beat yourself up because I know that you had this planned and I wasn't really anticipating what was to come. If I did, I definitely would have prepared better. It kind of worked out in a weird way because I really, I think that was an eye-opening experience. Like that challenge really caused me to kind of like start to love backpacking and that challenge of, of what it can be. So, um, and it, you know, obviously if I hated it, I wouldn't have come back, but here we are decades, a decade later or whatever. Yeah. And that immortalized you in the, in the backpacking group and, that is why you are who you are as, as a backpacker anyway, because because of that perseverance, and that toughness. And even though it was t- it was hard for you and even though it was, yeah, probably the toughest backpacking trip you've ever been on. Like that's that's kind of the one that you reference the most. And it's the one that, um, yeah, that we kind of come back to and that we sort of reference as a group the most. And that's why 10 years later we did kind of an anniversary trip. But yeah. we did we did it over three and a half days. So. We, yeah. we allowed ourselves a little bit of grace for being 10 years older at that point. 
That was wise, I think. That Still hard, though. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, it's a beast of a trail, for yeah, sure. Yeah, we like that one um, a lot. But I think that, I think having that, that first trip really, and, and this goes for anybody, like when you have that really tough trip, uh, I would encourage you to, to try to go again, I think, on a different trip, because it, it really told me, like, you can overcome the most difficult challenges if you really stick to your guns and stay with these guys um, and stay positive. Um, and, and everybody was really encouraging. I remember on the way down on the third day, my knees, my legs were just killing me. And you guys like took my sleeping bag, took something else and took that. And for me, that was like a hard thing to give up because I'm like, no, I can't add more weight because I know how I feel. But it was really one of those moments. I'm like, it's not about one person. It's about the group and you got to do what you got to do to get the group out and everybody okay and stuff. So um, that might mean sharing gear sometimes. So learning experience for me, because I don't think I really expected a lot of that stuff. And it was good. It was really good. Yeah. And I think, I think that the, typically the group leader is the one that, that gets blamed for the, the death march, like, hey, we're doing this many miles and this much elevation gain. And it, I mean, in all honesty, a lot of it does fall upon the group leader or whoever's planning the trip. But I, th- I think a, a big part of being on a death march is the people that are sort of following along or participating don't really know what they're in for or don't take the time to really look and see like, hey, am I prepared for this or what's really involved in this trip? And so I think the, kind of the combination of those two things can lead to the to a death march. I, I only think I would point the finger at you in this one area in that this was your your baby. This is your Moby Dick. And then that's like, oh, hey, there's this rando guy coming that I kind of know. I would think that you would be like, I need to just make sure because I don't want to turn around on this trip. This is like, you know, like I, I need to make sure that he knows like what to do, what to bring. Right, if he's right. well, I thought you would have pressed that a little bit more. For sure. But, and, we, and we've kind of re- referenced that in previous episodes. But I think this is also the sort of the beginning of the standard for who gets to go on the trip. Because we'd had so many f- trip fails and different guys go that were, were good, not so good. And we we're just trying to find our niche. And I think that's kind of that trip sort of set the standard for the type of person that, that we can go with on some of these tougher trips. Right. So, so I think that, yeah, there, a lot of good came out of that for sure. So I think everybody out there has their own version of the death march. And I imagine if you've been backpacking for a while, at some point you found yourself on what you might describe as a death march. But in doing some research for this episode, there's actually a couple trails out there that, that literally have the nickname, the death march. And the most famous one is the Grand Canyon where people, I think that kind of the rule for it is you have to hike from one edge or one rim to the other edge or the other rim. They call it the rim to rim and then back again. So rim to rim to rim all under 24 hours. And if it, I guess you can't call it a death march unless you complete it under 24 hours. Otherwise, they call it like you're just on a two-day hike at that point, I think is what I read. Yeah, and then there's other trails I saw. You know, just I think people that are doing long trails through hikes – um, can kind of create their own versions of death marches. I know that I've I've certainly felt that when doing a, a through hike myself, where I didn't pack enough food and just yeah. There's all sorts of I think characteristics of a of a death march. So so uh, having said that, I think we should do some rapid fire here. So I think we should go with like you know you're on a death march when and then you give me your three. We'll kind of take turns and I'll give you my three. And we'll just kind of jump in. And I think this will describe like really like we'll boil down what a death march means for backpacking. You know, you're okay. You know, you're on a death march when you're, you're giving away major parts of your gear and your backpack, mm-hmm. um, AKA sleeping bag, um, heavy items that you should be able to can't, uh, 
carry yourself. Well, I like that you're, yeah. And I like that, that that person is willing to give those away because sometimes they're not. And then that really kind of drags the group behind. But I think that, you know, you're on a death march when your enthusiasm has, has gone to the toilet. Mm. At the beginning of the day, you were ready for this. You were excited. And at some point during the day, you were like, why am I here? Yeah. I think, you know, I think you're definitely on a death march when your body is, is screaming at you to rest and stop. And you either, either you, I mean, either you have to keep going or you can't, or, um, you know, like I said, I was shuffling my feet inches in front of one or the other. And it felt like this death march. Cause I'm like, I have to keep, like, I can't, what, what can you do? You can't just turn around, and go back. I mean, you have to go one way or the other and it's it was at that halfway point i think or i think when your body's screaming at you to stop or slow down or rest and you and you can't do it or you won't do it some people won't do it you're really putting yourself at risk yep okay that one makes sense you know you're in a death march when you begin to have a genuine hatred for the group leader <laughs> but I don't think I was on a death march fully. Then. I didn't hate you at all. These are just some characteristics that you might encounter if, you, if, if the group leaders were giving them a stink eye, and you're like, I thought I liked that person, but I kind of actually hate them for putting me through this. Speaking for myself, I think I know I'm on a death march when I when I decide to actually quit because when I don't want to quit and I wanted to keep going, I knew it would be challenging. That's fine, but when I get to the point where I'm like, I gotta quit, like. That's a big deal for me. And to me, that would be a death march because I'm like, I can't make it. I can't do it. Um, so when you actually make that decision to stop and turn around and go back, and there's no injuries going on, but it's just maybe too hard, I think that should be, for me, that's a death march. Right. But um, and, and my last one, this one is if things have really gone sour, you know you're in a death march when you begin to create a fake injury. <laughs> like... <laughs> Have you had somebody do that? Didn't you tell me that? Oh yeah, for sure. Like my, my knees hurting, like my knees acting up, even though it's like never acted up before. Or you start to kind of like have those ghost injuries. You're like, I don't know. Like my leg is numb or something like that's just fake because you need to kind of create a fake reason that kind of like a, you know, a reason to quit where you can, you know, not feel totally shameful of it. And so you kind of, yeah, you don't want to quit and be like, yeah, nothing's wrong. I just quit. You know? Right. Yeah. And I think I've seen professional athletes that sort of do that when they know they've lost. And, um, it just, you can tell, you know, the, the fake injury, that's kind of like the end point. Like, okay, if you're creating a fake injury, not only are you quitting this trip, but should you go on a trip like this again? Probably not because that's, that's a bad sign. Well, I think there's a point during a trip like that where you either are like, nope, this isn't for me. I quit. And I think that lends a lot. Maybe I'm patting myself on the back a little bit, but there's a point where like either you decide, this is for a lot of people, like either you decide to keep going and push through because you like that challenge to see like, can I get through this? And I think there was a part of me that's like, I like to know what happens if I'm in like this gnarly situation. Like, can I MacGyver my way out of it or whatever? And, uh, or, or am I just going to throw in the town quit? Right. Everybody has a breaking point. I think that's foolish not to think that, but I think it's fun to test that limit right. sometimes. And after all these things, I still like going on a trip that some people would call a death March. I just love them. I know you're throwing all those other things what about just okay there's a trail that i almost did this year i won't say where it is but it involved sheer cliffs it involved like the trail being less than 12 inches wide very high up um would you consider that part of a death march or would you consider that just reckless 
Oh yeah, I don't. Or, or I don't not. know that death marches typically involve recklessness. I mean, I think you can become reckless because if you're on an exposed area and you're just exhausted, then that can sure. the death march can can put you into a reckless situation. But I think recklessness by itself is a whole other category of stuff. Right. So, because I was so, I'll now tell you it was it was when I was in Kauai. There's the Kanapali Coast yeah. or the Nepali Coast, and so I was going to do this um, this hike, and I think it was like a I think it was somewhere like 11 to 15 miles or something like that. And so initially, I'm like, oh, I could do that, no problem. And then I looked, and you see like the terrain that you have to go over, and how shoddy the trail is, um, and how few people do it, and everything. So um, it just seemed too risky. Just seemed too yeah, risky because sure. um, I've, I've actually been I, on that trail I, too, and. It is, yeah, it, it can be, yeah, it can be a tough trail for sure. I did the beginning of it. It was fun. But then I took a tour later in the week and went around the backside of the island and saw where that trail ends. And there was like a handful of people there that did it. But you see like how steep, I couldn't even see the trail. And they're like, no, it's right there. This little thin line in this cliff of sheer slate rock. And, yeah, it's tough. You know, you can imagine carrying all that gear over something like that, how dangerous that would be. So. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, I think it's time to jump into our trivia question for today. And I believe it's my Giddy turn. Up. So Giddy up. I thought, you know, what's, what trail are you most likely to have a death march on besides the Grand Canyon that I mentioned? And I just think the long trails are going to be the ones where people really feel at times that they're on a death march. And so... One of the most famous long trails, of course, is the Appalachian Trail. So I went onto the RAI website, and they have this Appalachian Trail by the numbers. And so they have all these different categories and statistics and things about the trail and the people that are doing the trail and stuff. I think some of these characteristics definitely relate to being on a death march. So I'm going to give you three, sort of three questions here. And if you can get uh, two of them, 
I'll give it to you. And if you can't get two of them, then I got something in store for you. Oh boy, here we go. Okay. Challenge accepted. Right. So my first question is, what is the average number of pounds that are lost by through hikers during their journey? And I'm going to give you a standard deviation of five on this one. So you can be five off either way. Average number of pounds lost. And you can assume that there's a, there's a fair amount of hikers that start like relatively overweight. So a standard deviation of five? Okay. So you're lucky I'm decent at math. So <laughs> how many pounds do they lose on... How, I mean, how long are we gone for, though? Like, what's the... Okay. You said a through hiker. A through hiker on the Appalachian Trail. On the Appalachian Trail. Okay. And how... how is there a mileage? There is a mileage. I guess you don't know as much about the Appalachian Trail. This is kind of, again, losing more trail cred. But um, it's about <laughs> it's about 2,200 miles long. <laughs> Not all of this geek out on the computer. Okay. Uh, 22, 220 or 22? 2,200 miles long. It takes like three to five months. And how much weight would I lose? Standard deviation of five. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It takes about, it takes about 165 s- days for your average person to finish it. All right. I'm going to say you're going to lose an average of 25 pounds. All right. That is correct. You're within the range. It is actually 30 pounds. Woo. Well done. Well done. All right. This one, no standard deviation. How many pairs of shoes would you typically go through on the trail? Like wear through and have to replace? I would say at least two. Okay, so it's two your number? At least two. Two. Okay. Four to five is the correct answer. Four to five pairs of shoes. Four to five pairs of shoes, yeah. So I feel like that's a little anal. Is that a little anal? Like, do you really need to bring that? Twenty two hundred miles. Most running shoes. People are using running shoes most often, and they're they typically they're built to last about five hundred miles. And so I think, like mathematically, that actually makes sense. Okay. Well, maybe they need to bring better shoes. Okay, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think they're bringing maybe shoes. some more hiking shoes. Uh, I think they're uh, yeah. So if we divide yeah. that by correct pairs of shoes, we're looking at two point two to two point five. So that's correct. Yep. <laughs> we'll work on your math later. <laughs> uh, no need. No. Okay. Final question. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Final question is: uh, What percent of total hikers are female? Ooh, and um, this is the Appalachian Trail area. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to give you again. I'll give you a standard deviation of uh, of ten on this one. Either way. Oh gosh, what percentage? Yeah. Uh, I want to say. Whew, I want to say thirty-two percent. Thirty-two percent. Okay, it is twenty-five percent. So, Giddy success up. to Derek. Congratulations. Giddy. I'll save what I had in store for you for another day. Bring it. Keep it in your pocket because I got some stuff in store for you. So, uh, and I want to let the people know I had the video of my daughter racing somebody in the store, um, but for some reason it's not uploading to Facebook. So I'm going to keep on trying to do that this week, and hopefully that'll be up uh, before the next episode is released, and um, you'll get to see that. So didn't forget about it, but I want to let you guys know. Okay, I like it. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Thanks again so much for tuning in and listening to Backpacking and Blisters. Uh, We really have fun doing this podcast, and we enjoy uh, just chatting with you guys about all kinds of things. Carl, what's in store for us next week? Okay, so the next one I'm really excited about. This is one we referred to a couple episodes ago, and this is called Can You Pass the Derek and Carl Permit Test? 
Oh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. Go ahead and check out that Facebook page when you guys get a second and leave us your comments, your your insights, your any stories you guys have um, that might be kind of crazy. And we'll love to try to include those in future episodes of the podcast. Um, we really have a lot of fun doing this and we're excited to keep going with you guys. And remember, guys, it's not backpacking unless there's a few blisters along the way. Thanks again. 17 of them, by the way. I want to fly. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.